good morning, family. Look even better in person than you do on TV, you know. I look over this group, I see some of my great friends, longtime, you know, friends Steve and Terrell Brand here anchoring down this side of the auditorium, and then we got Jeff and Ashley, we got the Knights over here, and it's just good to be together, you know, here, and it's great to be together, you know, virtually and online. So, good morning, North River, good morning, family. I uh, want to share a few things with you as we continue on in our spiritual disciplines um, and as it would have it naturally, somebody calls me right here when I'm on the phone. How you doing, Milton, in, sa- in the south part of the, uh, the city? We love you. Hey, so um, what do you do? What do you do? I've been thinking. When, when something is really troubling you, when, when you can't get something off of your mind, when you're deeply concerned, you're worried, you're, uh, you're confused about something, or someone, when you're upset, when you're irritated, when, when, when you're mad, when, when you're angry, when someone, well, maybe even everybody, seems to have let you down or disappointed you. When you look at the world and you have a high level of anxiety, when you feel sometimes like, uh, wow. Are things going to get bleaker, worse? Sometimes when you you think about these things and you may feel like running away, giving up, quitting when someone you care about is sick or they're unemployed or they're heartbroken, when uh, you're disappointed in your family, your country, your church, even yourself, when your children or your parents struggle. When the people around you just don't seem to get it, what do you do? What did Jesus do? This morning, we're going to continue in our series, Practicing the Way, and we're going to focus on, on prayer. And as we always try to do in, uh, in this series, we, we begin with Jesus, and we think about this. When did, when did Jesus pray? You know, uh, this morning I'm going to go over a lot of passages. I'm going to share some different concepts with you. And I'm hoping that all of us will be willing to put in the work, to study these things out, and then to put them into practice. And when we focus initially on Jesus and on his prayer life and think about when, uh, when did he pray, well, when he had a big decision to make. We remember that time when he stayed up all night and he had to select the 12. And he prayed when he was thankful. He prayed when there were great victories in his life. He prayed for daily guidance. It was, it was like a, a lifestyle for Jesus. It says he, he got up very early in the morning. He often went to a solitary place, and, uh, and he prayed. He also uh, taught his disciples. He, he used prayer to point people to, to the Father and to to glorify the Father. This was a big part of his life. And, and for Jesus at the point of his deepest concern, when he was really worried about something, when he was really caring about something, and in this case, us, in John chapter 17, actually beginning in verse, uh, chapter 14, he has a really good heart-to-heart talk with his family, his closest friends. 
And then he closes it out. He's finished talking. The talking's done. The lecturing's done, however you want to look at it. The teaching's over. And then he prays, and he prays to God with a very powerful, passionate prayer, not just for those there, but he said for all who would believe in his name. And he prayed for complete unity. That's amazing. That was his greatest concern. And in the moment of his greatest crisis, he's doing this. When in just a few hours, he's going to, uh, to go to the cross. And before that, in just a few minutes, he's going to be in the garden. And he's going to go before God. And Hebrews 5 says, with loud cries and tears, he's begging God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Change the situation. Make it be over. And in that moment, when he faced his greatest crisis, Jesus prayed. We go on, and Jesus, uh, Jesus prayed, and he, he taught on prayer. Now, we know that more, as they say, is caught than taught. And our example is everything in a family with parents and, a, and church leaders and, you know, you know, sports and anything, pretty much, uh, that, that, that we, we hold dear. But there, there's the example, and then there are the things that we teach. And Jesus did teach on prayer, didn't he? There's so many great things. I mean, uh, he specifically talks about that, uh, about prayer in Luke chapter 11, when the disciples say, teach us how to pray. And he gives this same prayer we're looking at from Matthew chapter 6. And he ends it out with being persistent, like the friend knocking at midnight, or the persistent widow just calling out and calling out. And so Jesus, yeah, he talked about persistence, so many things. But the model, the model for prayer, and the place really for me, you, all of us to begin, is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And notice how it goes. Um, you can follow along on the screen, but you've got your own screen. You've got your own Bible. And at home, you can open up and you can take a look at it because this is a, a prayer. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And it starts off with our Father. Your Father knows your needs before you ask him. And so pray like this, our Father in heaven. But then it's not just God as your Father. It's also as our awesome, great God that we sang about this morning. Hallowed be your name. You're holy. You're awesome. You're set apart. Your kingdom come. Or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our allegiance is to this spiritual kingdom with Jesus as king. And then there's give me and Forgive me. Give me my daily bread. It's okay. It's everything right about praying for daily necessities and needs for yourself, your family, and others. But also, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my trespasses and sins. That's a humble man or woman before God. And then leave me not in temptation. God, there's a lot of temptation out there. Deliver me from evil. And then he goes on, which is so interesting. He doubles back on forgiveness and tells us if you forgive other people their sins your heavenly father will also forgive yours but if you don't neither will your father forgive your trespasses that's a very sobering thought isn't it and it keeps christian people who believe in the name of jesus very humble very patient very forbearing very giving the benefit of the doubt very forgiving because that's what we want from god and so that's a tenet of christianity and you know jesus you know emphasizes it in a double way well let me tell you what he emphasizes in a quadruple way the word father in this model prayer 
appears four times. In this one chapter, it's every third verse. In John chapter 17 and in verses 14 through 17 or chapters 14 through 17, it's, it's littered with the word Father, 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 your Heavenly Father. This is how God wants you and me to come before him in presence. Yes, he's an awesome God. Yes, he's the creator of the world. But first and foremost, do you know, do you realize he is your father in heaven? Last week, Father's Day, Kelly and I were down in Florida visiting her 97-year-old dad, who, by the way, got baptized about seven months ago. Amen? And we were celebrating with him. And so we were, we were with, uh, like most of you are this morning, on live stream. And we were, we were enjoying the service. And kind of, it, it was encouraging hearing you guys in the audience actually say something, you know. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. You hear that out there in live stream land? Yeah. So, so, so I was watching Kelly and Ryan and I were watching live stream. And, and Jeff was talking about his, his picture of God, about God as a father. And as I recall, Jeff talked about picturing sitting on a dock, you know, as maybe a, a young boy or a teenager, and, and then all of a sudden God comes up beside him, and he sits down beside him, and he puts his arm around him, and maybe gives him a little nuggy-noogie, is that what you call it, you know, rubbing his head? And that picture was so intimate. It was so beautiful. And then just the night before, my son Ryan had gone over and spent some time with one of his cousins who had just become a new father himself. And, and this cousin didn't have a dad growing up. His dad, like my dad, took off when he was, he was just a kid, really didn't have any relationship or even, you know, even know him. And he was talking about how much he missed having a father in his life and, and how excited he was that he, 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 he was going to be a father and he could lavish his love and, and heart and, and focus on, on his little child. And I recall back on my, my childhood, my dad took off when I was a year old. He married my mom under an assumed name. He had another family somewhere. He was a con man. I didn't see. I saw him maybe two times over the next two, you know, three or four years and then never again. And to this day, I'm not sure... I've ever had a man my father's age sit down with me, put his arm around me, and just be there. If you had that experience, you know, you ought to do some major counting your blessings, amen? And that's the kind of dad we want to be. But all that aside, that's human stuff. God, first and foremost, as we go to him in prayer, is our heavenly father. That is also, and like any great father, he gives you anything you want whenever you ask it, right? And right away. No, he's wise. He does give us. He gives us so much. But, you know, honestly, not always in the way we expect it in, you know, in our timing. And then, you know, in addition to that, the things that Jesus taught on prayer, there's a lot of teaching in prayer from the apostles and from the scriptures as they tell us, okay, we're in the church now. How do we go about this thing called prayer? What's the focus on it? How do we need to think about it? There, there are honestly so many passages. Yeah, there's the example of the apostles where we see in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, what's grown to be one of my favorite passages on prayer, where, where Paul says, I pray for you, church, day and night, 
so I can see you again. There isn't a substitute for being together face to face. That's what John said in his letters in 2 John and 3 John. This stuff I can't just say in pen and paper or virtually. I want to be able to see you again at, at some time and, and spend some human interaction time you know, with you. I want to, he said, I pray that I can see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And according to the scriptures, the apostles led by the apostle Paul in this example prayed day and night. For that very thing. And then, of course, in 1 Thessalonians, a little bit later on, you know, the, the teaching is, how often do we rejoice? Always. Give thanks how often? In, in all circumstances, and pray continually. That's really where, uh, you know, where God desires to have us in this idea of spiritual discipline. It's way more than a plan. It, it's not just intentional, it's spontaneous, it's all of that. It's a relationship, it's conversation, and we'll kind of dig into that. And this passage really gets this point across, and I do want to ask you, if you haven't totally tuned in yet, open your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 6, and look at the teaching that people who are Christians are called to embrace by the Scriptures. It says, well, what a passage. You know, pray in the Spirit, okay? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Sometimes it takes prayers. We don't even know how to word to God, and we're grateful for that. But we're praying in the Spirit, totally aware that God's Spirit is inside of me, and we're praying together, and we're reaching out to God. We've got the words. We've got the thoughts. The Holy Spirit's got the power and more. But he says, pray in the Spirit how often? On all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. we got to double back on that in a minute. And with this in mind, keep alert and keep on praying. Or your, your translation may say, with all perseverance. In other words, not stopping. Praying for all of the Lord's people. Now, that's pretty amazing. I'm telling you what, it's also amazing when you think about the context that we find ourselves in this place in Scripture. It's in Ephesians chapter 6 where it makes it really clear, beginning in verse 10, we are in a spiritual war, and we better put on the whole armor of God because our warfare is against unseen evil, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. You're actually targeted sometimes by this. First Peter you know, tells us in chapter 5, Satan goes about like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Okay, there's a scheme, there's a plan, it's a warfare. Put on the whole armor of God. This is really important. If you don't get this, you're just going to be kind of like fodder, really, eventually in your life. And in this, this war sometimes, we feel incapable sometimes of picking up that sword of the Spirit or that shield of faith and warding things off and fighting things off. Sometimes we just got to pray. And let's clarify this. What, what are we talking about? The Scripture talks about all kinds of prayer. I want to run through this. I want to encourage you guys to study. You know, there's so many great books and, and, and commentaries and texts and a whole 66 books in a Bible to be able to look into. But all kinds of, of prayer. What is he talking about? Well, the first thing we, we normally think about are prayer requests. And that the Bible calls that supplications. And that's what we're just praying about things. We're just asking God for things. This is what Philippians 4 says. Don't be anxious about anything, but do what? Pray about everything with supplication and take a request to God. Now, Thanksgiving, yes, that's, that's a, another really key part of prayer. Philippians 4 talks about that. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 
Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. The Psalms are completely, you know, full of these psalms of thanksgiving and praise. And then there's the prayers of worship, very similar to thanksgiving, but prayers of worship focus on who God is. Prayers of thanksgiving focus on what God has done. Those are the kinds of initial kinds of things we pray about. There's the prayer of agreement. Sometimes they call it corporate prayer, where Christians come together and agree on something. It says in the first uh, uh, early church, they all joined together constantly in prayer and devoted themselves to prayer. There's a prayer of consecration. When, when it's a time of setting yourself, me and you, apart for a special task, a special challenge, the most obvious one, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's struggling, when he's wrestling, when he's fighting to submit to God. And he comes up with a bottom line, not my will, but your will be done. Please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. That's, that's the time. If you haven't had some of those, again, there's some superficiality there because there got to be times in our life from time to time where we just realize, whew, I got to have a prayer of consecration. There's prayer of intercession. That's on behalf of others. That's a central focus, you know, you know in our prayers. It's so important, and we're going to see this passage in a minute, of first importance in the church, our church assemblies, is to make intercessions for all people. Now, here's what Jesus did on this prayer of intercession. He said to Simon, Simon Peter, changed his name to Peter, but he comes to him toward the end, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. That is a flat-out prayer of intercession. I hear Jordan amen and Bro, you've had a lot of prayers for you like that, right? And I've had a lot of prayers like that for me. Probably we're only here still in God's kingdom and his church because lots of people prayed prayers of intercession for you and for me. That's probably a fact. I hope we're humble enough to, you know, accept it. There's a prayer of faith that raises up the sick person in James chapter 5. There's praying, asking for God's judgment on the injustice in the world. The Psalms are smack full of passages like that. Of course, praying in the Spirit, you know, with those times where we don't know what we can pray ourselves, prayer is planned. Jesus said, go into a room by yourself and pray. Prayer is spontaneous. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Study this stuff out. Put it into practice. Go deeper. We got a lot to grow in here. Years ago, I read this book, Spiritual Maturity by Oswald Sanders. Maybe I was a young Christian back in college. And he simply said, if you want to humble any man or woman, just ask them details about their prayer life. I think there's some truth in that. Let me share personally for, you know, for a minute. I... Uh, my focus as a minister changed about 20 years ago. That's a real pivot in my life. You know, I, I always had worked hard and studied the Bible hard with other people and believed hard in faith, but I realized I relied too much on my own energy, my efforts, even, even the scriptures, you know, to move people's hearts. I got out of the ministry for about 10 years and... Uh, had a different kind of experience. And when, when I went back into the ministry, I, there's some passages that I rediscovered, like 1 Thessalonians 3.10 about 
praying day and night for people so God could help supply what was lacking in, in, in their faith. And how the, the leaders in the early church actually, you know, set spe- special time aside. And they talked in Acts 6-4, we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. And do you remember? Prayer. And they were able to delegate some other responsibilities so they had more time to pray and more time to, to spend time in the Word of God. Now, you know, for me now, of course, uh, 20 years ago, I went back in the full-time ministry. And uh, when, you, when, when you're full-time, you know, I, I, I used to be working 50 hours a week making money for some company. But I have more time now. I realize that. You know, still doing all the things a normal Christian would, you know, would do, but, but, but I have a different role now. And so there, there were some big changes in my life where, where I decided, and I really came to conviction, that I, as a minister, I need to help move people's hearts closer to God by talking to God and having Him move in their lives. Not just how good a sermon I did or how, what, how good a plan was or execution or that kind of thing. And then there was Atlanta. It came to, uh, invited to come to Atlanta to a small church that would become North River. And uh, it was uncertain times. I had uncertainty. There was a lot of challenging times going around in this city and in our, you know, in our fellowship. And uh, I remember Steve Atkins sent me a list of the people who it looked like were going to join North River and be a part of this, this new effort. And uh, as I recall, went through it, there were about 177 names, you know, that uh, when I came here, we're, we're still here. And 1,500 miles away and months away, I started praying for every family. And I started praying for every name, by name, and for the children. So, so, well, first of all, they could be on my heart, but also that God would help them. And God would help prepare them for whatever, you know, he led us to, to do and to be together as a church. And I prayed for and, and And coming here, it grew to praying for all of our North River kids and our children. It's a bunch of them right now. For, our, uh, for our, the adult children and, and all our families. And I'm looking at some of you guys, and you know I pray almost daily, very frequently for many of your adult children, okay? That's still a part of what I, you know, I do. Sometimes I can spend a little bit more time. Sometimes I do a flyby, you know what I'm saying? I just fly over a bunch, okay? And, uh, you know, n- not have as much time, but I'm there. I'm faithful. I do this. Praying for the next generation, for our adult children. You know, as I said yesterday, Yes, this is my new tradition in the virtual live stream world. I come here on Saturday, and yeah, you know, uh, I walk up every one of these aisles. It's kind of hard to get through them now, all this red tape. But, but, but I walk up and down, and I know where you guys sit, most of you. And I pause and pray for you and your family and your newborns and uh, your adult children, your life. I pray, pray that God can keep us tight together. That, that, that God can bless you financially, health-wise, spiritually. And I do that for, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes. And, uh, and then I come up here and stand on stage, and I just imagine looking at you and just say, God, please help me, man. I have feet of clay, and I'm just going to do my best, you know, you know tomorrow. But uh, I, I want to, I think all of us can do this in some way. 
praying more focused in the morning, when you drift off to sleep at night, praying when you're driving to work, when you're preparing for a business call, when you're taking a walk, when you're doing cardio, when you're listening to this sermon or any sermon, when you're preparing for live stream or your Zoom midweek, pouring out your heart to God. Psalms kind of prayers. Quiet time alone with God with his arm around you kind of prayers. Special times. And I just want to get specific and personal here with just a few minutes I've got, you know, left. I just got to ask you some questions on asleep how often and how long do you pray for god to flatten this curve of covid19 how often and how intensely do you pray for god to give us a vaccine or if there's something else we need to learn through this he'll teach that to us how often and intensely do you pray for the racial tension and injustices in our country how long how often how fervently Do you pray for the members of your family group? It amazes me how few people pray for all the members of their family group on a regular basis. For your North River leaders, the elders, the evangelists. I had some time with one of the brothers. He's a great brother here at North River. And he was was feeling a little tweaked by a couple of people in our leadership group. And, uh, I mean, he was just expressing a few things. We had a good talk. He's he's got a good spirit about it. But I asked him, hey, April, how often do you pray for these, these, these couple of people? And he said, oh, about every three weeks. And uh, it just hadn't occurred to him. I said, could I make a suggestion that you pray more frequently about that? Because all of, the lead, all of our leaders need to become better leaders, right? And we pray for them. And we help them for our government officials, especially those you can't stand, you know, that you don't care about or have negative feelings about. We're going to get to a verse on this. You know, for yourself, for all of the disciples around the world and in our church to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and don't let the sun go down on anybody's anger. This Ephesians 6 doesn't surprise you, you and me. It, it's, I, I, don't, I really don't want you to feel guilted out here that you're not measuring up or I could give you another thing to be anxious about. It's the opposite. That you can grow on, you and me, to spiritual maturity, to unleashing the power of God. To excel in this area. To be courageous. To take an inventory. To be able to to learn from the scriptures. To be able to... Got my alarm going off. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm getting to the punchline here in just a moment. Make it an increasing priority in your life. Study the scriptures. It's not about length. It's not about how long. It's not about how many people or things. It's about spiritual maturity and growing in this area. It's not even just a specific plan or an intentionality. It's also spontaneous. It's reflective. It's passionate. It's yielded. It's submissive. It's heart searching. And most of all, it's the work of the Holy Spirit as well. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 4, you know, you know, 4, 6. If I had more time... What I would tell you is that there are hindrances to prayer, and you should at least be aware of these things. The, uh, the, uh, the, the first hindrance, and millions of Americans are not going to like this. You know, if you're not praying to God in the name of Jesus, through Jesus Christ, your prayers are hindered. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he doesn't care about you. But you do not have the special access of not just being an object of his love, but being a son or daughter in his family. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That is not popular. 
People are going to think you're a little narrow-minded or, you know, or bigoted you know, on that. But that is what the scriptures teach. And good luck trying to get a request approved or getting some big thing done by somebody you know, in high power without some kind of access, you know, without some kind of introduction. You know, this is just the way it over and over again in the scripture. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You know, if you're praying to impress others while ignoring the poor, if you're praying with a doubting heart, with a, a selfish motives, if you're just not praying, James says you don't have because you don't ask. If you're praying while ignoring scripture and being in sin, your prayers are hindered. If you're it, it, on the opposite, it's true when you're righteous and you're doing things in the commands of God because we keep his commandments, First John, you know, uh, you're going to receive, you know, what you ask and then if you got marriage issues and problems your prayers are going to be hindered right guys first peter chapter three is mark it down that's one of the things that helps a mom and dad really get more humble because they love their kids and they don't want their prayers to be hindered so they got to know they got to work on their own relationship and praying with unforgiveness in your heart whoa does that slam the door on effectiveness in anybody's you know prayer life and then i'm just going to give you this last passage and then we're going to be done I, in my role in life now, yeah, of course, I'm a dad, I'm a Christian like you, dad, granddad, but, but I have a role as an evangelist in, in Jesus' church. And I study a lot books like First and Second Timothy and Titus because they're specifically spoken to evangelists and how they, we need to be focused on the church, what we need to give particular attention to. And you know there are things in First Timothy like chapter 6, making sure that those who have who are rich, are very generous, you know, and not greedy. There are things like in chapter 4 about being really strong on false doctrine, not let any divisive doctrines get in the church. In chapter 3 about elders, deacons, leadership, he says in verse 14, I'm writing these things so you know how you should behave in the church of God. In chapter 1 there, some very personal things. And then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is interesting. After some introductory kind of personal remarks with Timothy and a basic charge, he says, first of all, Timothy, I take this personally, first of all, of first importance, number one, you make sure the church does what? It says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and, dig and dignified in, you know, in, in every way. This is good and pleases our God who desires all men, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of, you know, of the truth. You know, I'll tell you what. As a church, we need to be praying for leaders in our country. It's what the Bible says. First importance. It was rough back then in the first century. The Roman, Romans occupied everything. There was very little equality in that day, for sure. I mean, people were abused. You, you, somebody could just come up to you and say, hey, take my pack. And it's not a five-pound pack. It's like a 50-pound pack and carry it a mile. It was like the law. It was, like, it was not a great thing. The Christians were even persecuted. And so, you know, the Bible says, pray for those in authority and pray that God will change their hearts or he'll take them out. Put that up to God. Because we need peaceful lives. And he, you know, this, this, is, this is really, you know, in his heart. But there is an interesting thing. He adds to it in verse 8, a hindrance to prayer. As you do this, as you pray to